Leonard Cohen suggested there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. This viral crack gives us a chance to create something new and better. So let's talk about back to different and let the light in. I'm here this morning, although for Michael, it's this night, uh, with Michael Iannini, who, who I um, stumbled upon, or he stumbled upon me, on LinkedIn. And uh, there was some real strong resonance for me because we're both passionate about education and learning. So I, I asked him if he would come and do a podcast with me for Back to Different, and sure enough, here he is, and he's speaking from Hong Kong. So, Michael, if you'll tell us a little bit about how, how you uh, got here, and then we'll see where we can go. All right, great. So, um, yeah, living here in Hong Kong with my wife and my two kids, uh, I've been involved in education on and off for now 23, 24 years. Um, and I remember I came to China in 99 or 2099 um, and taught until about 2001 or two full time um, and was completely turned off by what was expected of me in terms of education. And, and, and in Asia, was, uh, the rote learning and um, it really kind of offended my own sensibilities to the point where I left education. Um, and went off into the private industry. Uh, you know, it, what's amazing about you and my Mac is we've we've had our, our lives go down so many different roads that has really, in a way, kind of developed who we are um, to the point that now coming back into education for us, um, we can really help connect educators and others to what's happening out in the rest of the world and, and how, they, how they mitigate these crises. And one of the things that excites me since coming back into education is that some of the messages that um, I've, I've been delivering that really sits with educators is not so much about the pedagogy, but about the, the management um, and the organization, um, the structure upon which uh, you know, the, the pedagogy um, is delivered from uh, in terms of how to manage people, motivate them, influence them, um, how we set up uh, teams within schools to, to have greater collaboration, um, these are the things that, you know, really get me excited and I can't help but think COVID-19 has really kind of thrown everything up into the air. So uh, we have a chance to kind of catch it and re-put it back together. Um, and when we talked now over a month ago, you were talking about back to different and I was talking about not returning to normal um, or the new normal. Um, and what we're really talking about is the same thing about how can we make things better. Um, based on the fact that here we have all these, uh, uh, this opportunity with everything landing back in our hands. How do we put this puzzle back to back together in a way that is gonna more clear and, and nice? When I started teaching in uh, what 1971, a long, long time ago, um, I, was, I was taught to teach in the old school. Um, we were still writing on chalkboards and we were using overheads and when I was first confronted by this technology, my, my uh, response was to resist because I was, I was comfortable with my old framework for a teaching and learning, even though it was dysfunctional. And then all of a sudden, I realized that I was not happy teaching, but I was, I've always been happy learning. And, and that turned the way I looked at it. So. I think 
I think what I need to start with about the classroom is to reframe what I see as the purpose of kids coming into a school building. Mm. And now that we yeah. have virtual school buildings, I think, as you said, this is a golden opportunity to take a really hard look at why do kids come into school except to sit around? I mean, where do they go? And how can we, um, how can we knock down the barriers if in truth their default setting is to learn and discover and to be excited about new stuff? What do we need to take out of the equation to make space for that? Well, the cool thing is now those walls have been knocked down, uh, literally. And, you know, I'm having conversations with educators um, around this idea of, uh, all right, so, hey, you had to do a lot of work to prepare to get your kids to come in, you know, based in Asia and working mainly with um, independent schools. A lot of the focus has been let's just trying to create a safe environment, COVID free environment, um, social distancing, um, just getting and reconnecting with our kids in our community because that was so important to them that my big fear was that they had kind of lost sight of the lessons learned and the gains that they might have made while during remote learning. And so I try to pose this question as often as I can saying, hey, what from this remote learning period are you going to keep? What are you going to take forward? And I think that's the most important question to be asked. And to give you an example, one head of school told me, you know, when, as we were getting ready to come back to school, we, we were really worried about the operational considerations, how to space the desks, face masks, uh, hand sanitizers, how often to wash hands, how long can kids be in the school. And somehow out of those conversations, people were asking the question, well, hey, wait, what are some things that we can keep from the remote learning period that can actually address the concerns we have with social distancing and everything else? And soon it went from an operational concern to a task force on student agency. So if you have people asking the right questions, you can actually develop some incredible opportunities out of this because one of the, the biggest obstacles to learning or the walls was really trusting students to learn on their own. And, you know, we can admit that a lot of students may not have thrived during this period, but there are, that, there are students that did. How can we learn from them and develop those same passions or environment or space for others to also um, develop that sort of agentic learning? Fabulous, brother. I think the way our traditional schools, at least, I'm, um, although I've, I've gotten to travel a lot, I haven't traveled to look at schools, so I, I don't know that much about that part. And we need, I think, to find places to give our kids room to be more invested in their own stuff, in their own stuff. And I think if schools try to go back to sit kids sitting in rows in the classroom again, the kids will not stand for it. Yeah. I mean, things that schools have been talking about for close to a decade now, 21st century learning, personalized learning, inquiry-based learning, diff I mean, even from a pedagogical perspective, differentiating, um, you know, how we instruct children. And, you know, I serve predominantly independent schools that are privately funded, um, charge fairly high fees, many of which are, are very well resourced. And to be honest with you, because they like to use these terms, 
And in some respect, they do practice them uh, to a degree. I would have to say they, they've largely failed on that uh, criteria, <laughs> how, they've, how they've, you know, marketed their, their own vision for education. And it came to the forefront with COVID because it was easily demonstrated that they weren't prepared to differentiate. Uh, they weren't prepared to attend to those needs of those students that needed the classroom compared to those that were actually much happier out of the classroom. They weren't prepared to account for those difference in learning styles and, you know, devote their resources to where they would have greater impact, uh, helping those students that needed the classroom transition. And it's not just the, it's not just the students, it's the parents. So it's not just, you know, looking at it from one perspective, there's the parent perspective. You need to have the home, you know, involved as well. And, uh, you know, for the most part, sure, it was a surprise, but at the end of the day, if we were truly 21st century learning, uh, if we were truly into personalized learning, if, if we truly practiced the tenets of inquiry-based learning and knew how to differentiate, this was our opportunity to shine. And all right, I'll be fair. It doesn't, just because we didn't get it right the first time doesn't mean we can't get it right now because if the threat of it happening again isn't enough to induce you to make these changes, how about just trying to build on all those wonderful sort of, uh, you know, innovations that teachers were, were, were using to connect with students and the, the benefits that students were getting that normally may not have stood out in a classroom for various reasons. And it doesn't matter if you're a public school or an independent school, rich or poor, we were all affected by it. Some might have had better resources to overcome it, but we were all impacted by it. And that's, that's something we, you know, that can be a force for change. And it's not negotiable anymore, right? I mean, this is, this is a huge rock in our pond. And we as thinkers, educators, leaders, however you want to frame it, we can either go, oh, my God, everything's upset. Please let it go back. I miss, I, I got to pick up all, all the fruit and put it back in the cart and I got I to gotta take it to the market again. Or we can, as, as you said, um, we, can, we can see this space. We can see this opening. I'm, I'm back in school myself right now. And all the courses, I'm, I'm just taking my fourth course, they are all virtual. And I love it, Michael. Now, some, some do better with virtual than others do. I get that. But I love learning at my own pace. I love that I absolutely get out of it what I put into it. I'm not sitting in a row with kids, with other tall kids uh, around me. I'm doing it for my computer, but we have conversations. We all connect with each other. We all know each other. All my work from um, our leadership perspective right now is done from the computer too. And I love it. Well, teachers, not just students, but teachers also have a new respect for online learning. Whereas a lot of teachers in the past, especially again in international schools and independent schools that have grown so used to always doing the professional development, traveling, face-to-face, -face, you know, having smaller classes in many ways, uh, they, they probably, you know, would have thought of online learning as just a, you know, an unnecessary obstacle, an extra, an extra expense in time for preparing lessons. Well, I tell you what, now they're, they're much, they have a much higher regard and respect for it because they realize the amount of time and preparation it takes to deliver good content in that 
in that regard. They also have become much more open to collaborating, communicating with people online because when you think about it, now there's so many more people they get to network with as, com as compared to going to a conference. So here you have this other sort of uh, di uh, you know, dimension, if you will, uh, that we can add, which is basically the educators themselves are like, yeah, let's do some more of it. But how do we get better at it? And like you and I, we, we talked last month about how do we virtualize what we do? And we might have been doing it to some extent over the last couple of years with Skype calls and then Zoom, recording some content or, you know, finding other ways to, to work with our, our clients remotely. But now, you know, our move to at least mine in particular going completely online is has been very sort of liberating because I would love to get just the content out of the way and say, look, there it is. It's on that drive. It's in this space. Go off, read that book, watch that video. And when you're done, then I want to talk to you. This yeah. has been something I've been wanting to do for years. And I finally have gotten the time to do it. Uh, you know, my book, when I was writing my book, I wrote it expressly with that purpose that I don't want to do workshops anymore. I want you to read the book. In fact, my book has all of the, uh, all the activities from the workshop in it. You don't need me. What you need is you need a group of educators that want to grow together. And then when you've done that, then I want to talk to you because then we can talk about actually doing something like within your school's context. And that's, that's what's exciting. And I would hope teachers can look at their students the same way I'm looking at teachers. I want them to also think, you know what, why do I need to spend 30 or 45 minutes lecturing on this topic? Why can't I just video it, um, put it out there, let kids process it in their own way. Absolutely. And then when they come to class, we're just doing work. That's known as a flipped classroom. And that was something that, you know, I, I don't know how long the idea of a flipped classroom has been out, but I've seen it in a, a, a few different iterations online, but I've never seen it in an independent school <laughs> until wow. now. I'm, I'm old enough to remember, and though you were younger than I, you may be old enough to remember too, when teachers' primary purpose was we were sources for information. Yep. Right? I mean, I knew Shakespeare and I knew grammar. I still know grammar. Um, I'm a recovering English teacher. <clears throat> and so I saw my job as pouring data, you know, pouring, pouring information into these little minds. You know? <laughs> but now we all have our pocket computers. We call them cell phones, but they're not cell phones. They're pocket computers. So I don't need to be a source of information anymore. anymore. You know, like you said, so what's my role now as well, a, you, right? Yeah. Yeah. You frame the information. You, you, you create the, you create the framework for the learning. You provide some constructs. Um, you seed them with some ideas, some, some information. Uh, you let them take from it. And then when we're together, we process it. And what's better yet, you know, I've not just, not just what I do with teachers and leaders in schools, but also what I try to do as a coordinator for learning events, because you know, I'll coordinate events for other speakers uh, for schools that I work with based on a simple, uh, a simple model. You know, one third of it is facilitation. One third has to be the actual participants themselves in small groups processing it. And small groups is important because everybody gets a voice. But at some point, we want to see if those ideas can scale in a larger group and we kind of bring them back together. So whether it's in a classroom or online, those sort of those ideas about how to seed knowledge, which could just be through asynchronous learning, 
Um, working in small groups, which can either be a Zoom breakout room or even in a classroom that's based on social distancing now because we need to separate people. Um, right. They can't be touching even small working groups. They still need to have a bit of space. But, you know, we can break them down into small, smaller groups. And then we talk about seeding larger ideas. Well, you have two ways of doing it. You either do it like in a larger sort of environment or you do it online in some sort of forum where they're posting those ideas. So it's, you know, for me, going from one medium to the other just made it, it, there was really, there's no obstacles to it. It's just, I have to, you know, we talked about the, uh, the obstacles for teachers. Well, the obstacle is just doing it differently now. The means, you know, the, we're still trying to achieve um, the same means or ends, uh, but the means change, right? And that's, that's going to require, you know, that's a few months to a year transition. But once it's done, I think a lot of people are going to find their jobs a lot easier and they're going to get to do a lot more with their students that they, they weren't able to do before uh, because of all the conflicting needs that kids had. And so, you know, you take that into consideration. There's a lot of things to look forward to. Why not? Right. And, and what I'm, what I'm, what I'm hearing and feeling in your excitement about this, and this is a, a powerful insight and a thank you for it is that if, if we as facilitators of learning, teachers, whatever you want to you know, call us, and I, that's going to change too, if we are genuinely excited and invested in the idea of discovery, uh, excitement, possibilities, all those kinds of things, then this tool that you and I are using is just a great tool to help support that. So part of what I'm changing about my, my language about what we're doing is to not call it virtual learning anymore. It's just a tool, just like chalk and a blackboard or an overhead projector or PowerPoint or a conversation. Those are all tools. <clears throat> and this tool has some distinct advantages. Yeah. And I don't think those take root until we change how we frame what education is, what learning is, what opportunity is, what project-based learning, what, you see what I mean? I mean, we have to change how we frame it. Once we frame it, then this tool is like fantastic. This yeah. is, you know, this is just the hammer I needed, or this is just the saw I needed for this thing I'm building. And then we don't have to see this as a separate thing. We see this as just part of the bigger thing, which is redefining how the learning process works based on, a, I think it's a pretty simple idea, but it's not an easy idea maybe, is that everybody has an extraordinary capacity to learn. And once you tap into that, and once you open up the possibilities, most people leap to the chance because it's exciting and fun. Yeah. And one, one final thought for me, not thought, but really just one final message to your audience that I think is, is incredibly important that um, if they're not ready to go back to different, uh, they have to prepare themselves for the fact that even if you're able to return to your classrooms in the fall, be prepared for additional breakouts to where you'll probably have to go back to remote learning or, you know, uh, a more likely scenario would be, all right, we keep the schools open but there's more quarantining. So what are you going to do with your students that have a family member that gets sick at home and has to be at home for 14 days? You're still going to have to teach them remotely. You might have some in your classroom and some that are not. And, you know, it's going to be another year before we even get a vaccine. And will this be our only pandemic? Probably not. 
and in this regard, we have to go back to different. We have to, we have to make this move because this, in a way, is going to become that new normal, but it's not a bad thing because it truly demonstrates 21st century learning and teaching. <laughs> Absolutely. And <clears throat> I'm not um, stupid or naive enough to go, oh boy, a pandemic. <clears throat> and I'm fortunate, and I think you are too, in, in that we can, we can continue to work from home. And, and this is devastating for millions of people. Absolutely. And if we don't take, um, if we don't take advantage of the cracks that this has shown us, then we're foolish. No, agreed. And all we can, all we can do is hope um, at this time that I think people recognize the the severity. Uh, they they feel the need for change. They probably just feel overwhelmed by what to change. Um, and you know, if there's any sort of word of encouragement, it would be this. Try to identify within your communities the, the, the pivot points, those, those teachers that are thriving, those students that are thriving, and learn as much as you can from them because they'll be the strength or the, the pivot points that you can leverage force over the outcomes. And in doing so, that, that's probably your best place to start. You know, how do you, how do you recreate those successes? And then just take it a, a, a day at a time, um, a student at a time. You have a lot of time to do this. In fact, I think people are, are fairly open or at least understanding that this isn't going away. But as long as they see that we're trying and, and that we're working towards that end, as well as keeping in mind the parent and the home experience, which is an incredible part about this, is an incredibly important part is you have to maintain connection with the family then you know what? I think you're going to find yourself a lot of room for change. But start small. Start small. And start with the successes. Start with the strengths and work from there. Thank you, Michael, so much. Um, I've been looking forward to this, and I was right to look forward to it. So I will, we, will, we will be talking down the line, I'm sure. I will let you know as soon as the podcast, your, your part of the podcast is up and running, which will be soon. And um, thank you for giving me the title. Uh, part of the joy of doing this is at some point in the conversation, the other person always gives me the title for the podcast. And the title for this one is Pivot Points. Yeah, nice. Which is not a bad way to look at this. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, I, it, you know, I think I reflect on like Richard Rummelt's um, book, uh, Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. And in my last two articles on LinkedIn, I, I, right. I really have made him my centerpiece of it because that's that's the key to good strategies. You got to find those pivot points to which you can really turn the tide, right? Yes, and sir. So that's cool. That's cool. Stay well. Don't let your daughter stop playing the ukulele. <laughs> no, definitely not. You just got to <laughs> find a way to convince her uh, her ukulele uh, tutor to come back. All right, my friend. Have fun. Yeah. Sleep well tonight. Bye bye. Thanks for giving us a listen. As we move forward with this situation, with this thing that's us, let's never forget that we are all in this together. No matter what else happens, we're all in this together. Thank you.